You're listening to Return Again, where we look at Aliyah through the lens of Olim who have lived in Israel long enough to have perspective. I'm Goel Jasper, and my guest today is Dave Silverman. Dave grew up in Boston, a Jewish townie in an Irish Catholic neighborhood, just one of six Jews in high school. And Israel was the farthest thing from his mind as he played football, had fun with his friends, and did the usual American thing. Then he got sucker punched at the end of 12th grade and everything changed, even though he didn't quite realize it at the time. I recently visited Dave, who's now been in Israel for almost 50 years, in his home, where I navigated his wonderfully confusing Boston accent and listened as he walked me through his incredible story. That accent is no joke, so you may need to concentrate extra hard for this episode, but it's well worth it. So here we go. Dave Silverman, returning again. So good to be sitting with you in your house with these gorgeous fish in this fish tank that you just a few minutes ago told me you've had for 17 years. This, this particular batch of fish, yeah. Unbelievable. I bought, I bought it for my son's Brit, so it looked nice with the Brit. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, maybe we'll talk about you know, your children and everything else a little later on, but I, but I want to start with the, with the sort of foundation question. Do you remember the first time you heard about the concept of even living in Israel? Actually, uh, concept of living in Israel, not really. I, I sort of, I always say, I, I always say that I actually came to Israel by accident. Really? Just by, by just with the flow. I went with the flow. It all started back in uh, the last day of high school, actually. So prior to high school, it was like so, totally not on your radar screen. No, I grew up in. You know, not, 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 I wouldn't call it reformed or conservative. We, we, you know, my, my mother, mother would like candles on Friday nights and stuff. Israel was not part of our lives. Right. I, I grew up in you know, a place called West Roxbury. Uh, it's a part of Boston where it was um, predominantly Irish Catholic and Italian Catholic. It's like like Goodwill Hunting territory. Uh, that, like, were you a Southie? No, wasn't a Southie. Wasn't Southie, but, but we actually <laughs> we actually used to hang around the, and go to the pubs in Harvard Square and stuff, try to pick up the Harvard girls. You know, we, we, were, we were the townies. Townies. We're townies. We're townies. Got it. We're townies. And uh, I grew up in a rough neighborhood, and so Israel just wasn't part of our life. And my, my father was like so unattached to Israel. Right. For an example, I always it's an example I always use uh, during the Six Day War, which I didn't know was happening because we no one talked about it. I was wasn't, wow. watch, wasn't watching the news about Israel. Sure. And I, I heard about it, and I went to my friend's, my Italian friend's house one morning on a Sunday morning, and his father said, you should be proud to be a Jew today, Dave. I said, why? Well, you're, you're Jewish, Jewish homely, just won a six-day war against the, all the Arab enemies. I said, really? Oh, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, okay. That's how, yeah, that's how that distant was the, it was. That was the extent of my, my knowledge of Israel. I, mean, I, went, I went to Hebrew school like most kids did, you know, three days a week after high school, after, after elementary school. Right. But once you, once you got bar mitzvah, that's it. You're finished. You retired from Hebrew school. That's all. I'm one of eight children, so we all went the same way. 
and, and everyone went to Hebrew school, had bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. Yeah, we, all, we, all, yeah, we all had bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. Uh, and, uh, but in those days, the girls got bat mitzvah at 13 as well. Right. And 12 was, wasn't, wasn't a day. Wasn't equitable. It wasn't equitable. So 13 was, was the time. So six-day war happens. So and your the, friend's father gives you this information, and then once again off your radar yeah, screen. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I guess I supposedly you know was proud to be a Jew that day, but I didn't, went home. You know, didn't say anything. We didn't talk about it. No one talked about it. And then I read about it in the papers the next day or something like that. But there was no real concept of, of Aliyah of Israel or going to Israel. I had no friends that went to Israel. I knew a couple of kids in my shul that were you know, wealthier kids that used to go on summer trips with their families. Right. But basically, Israel was not part of my life. I, I once heard about, uh, about Billy Joel, who also grew up Jewish, mm-hmm. that he lived in a Catholic neighborhood, mm-hmm. and so he used to go with his friends to Mass because that was like, even though he was Jewish, like yeah. that was what the cool kids did. I've done it. I've done you it. had some of that? Yeah, I, I, I've actually received communion. <laughs> <laughs> and the local priest was one of my neighbors, you know, right. he sees Dave Silverman getting down on a knee and taking the, you know, the, <laughs> taking the host into his mouth, you know. You really did this? I wanted to taste it, you know. I, I, my friends <laughs> had the wafer. I wanted to taste the wafer, you know. But they, they also, when I, I used to go to junior services, I, I used to go to, you know, Saturday morning, go to junior services because they used to give us cupcakes and grape juice for kids. At the church? No, at, at the Oh, at the shul, shul. okay, fine. And they would come to the shul with me sometimes on Saturdays. <laughs> to get the free food. To, to get the, get the, the, I told you, you get cupcakes and grape juice with this thing called Kiddush in the end, right? <laughs> and then back of our shul was the baseball times, we'd go play baseball afterwards, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I've been to church many times with my, my friends. And I mean, we've been to midnight mass for Christmas with my friends. I mean, like, all my friends were Irish and Italian Catholic. Right. Are you still friends with any of them? Quite a few. And the reason, the reason I do a lot of my blogging on Facebook about life in Israel is to, to capture their attention, to let them know what, what I'm experiencing, what's going on in this country. They get the, they get the real news. They don't get the you know, CNN stuff. They, they're fed, you know. Okay, we'll get to that later. Okay. Talk to me about high school. What was it like? High school, we're, we're about... Six Jewish kids in the whole high school. In a public high school, like thousands of kids. Boston Public called Watsonville High. Right. And it was it was rough, you know. It was rough than uh, it was a real mixture of Bostonian public kids, blacks, whites. You know, we're all well together. It was before busing, just before busing. Right. And um, you know, a lot of street fighting, a lot of of, you know, name calling against the Jews. We had to stick up for ourselves all the time. So you had had to be a tough kid. You couldn't, you could not be a weak Jew in my high school. You had to be, you had to be a strong kid. You know, you had to stick up for yourselves. Like fights taking place on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, not on a regular basis, but quite often. You know, someone smacking the back of the head or something, call you a kike or a Jew ball, something like that. And you had had, had to be careful. You had to watch your back. You know. Wow, six of you. Yeah, we were scattered. We were scattered six. We we weren't together. Yeah. Well, three, well, three of us were good friends. I would say three of us, three, three guys were good friends. Were you, were you in high school with any of your siblings at any time, or, or the yeah, we were, age we were, difference yeah, was we too were, we were all, you know, from elementary right into, into junior high. We were always like a couple of years apart. We were right. like one of eight children, so you're bound to have, you know, three or four in school at the same time. Yeah. We all went pretty much to the same schools. Yeah. So, so what happened uh, toward the end of your, I guess, senior year of high school? So that, that, that last day I was talking about, that last day of high school, I was hanging out with some friends. It was like maybe the last week, I think it was, last week before school ended. And it was a circle of friends, and uh, the champion wrestler, John Morris, comes walking up to me. Yeah. And sucker punches me in the face. He says, have a good summer, Jew ball. Just like that? Just like that. You know, he wanted to, you know, I was a you know, big kid for my age, pretty strong. He was younger than me, because he wanted to prove he could take down a big Jew, you know. We ended up having a big street fight. <laughs> 
and he broke my nose. I, I didn't know he, I, I wasn't following wrestling in, in my high school. I didn't, know he, I didn't know he was a champion wrestler. He kept, <laughs> kept getting me down on the ground. I kept trying to box him. He, kept, he got me down on the ground, broke my nose, and I gave him a few stitches on his cheek. And it was, it was a nasty fight. Yeah. And then uh, so we, after we both went to the hospital, I guess the school called the police, and the police came to our homes, and the police left our homes, and my father had to leave work to meet me at home to, to talk about what happened. And I remember I had, a, I had this big bandage on my face, and I was all black and blue. You know? Yeah. And uh, he goes, you know, my, my mother said, you know, I think you need to take a break. Maybe uh, you know, I, spoke, I spoke to Mr. and Mrs. Jay Epstein last week. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Epstein. Yeah. And did you know they sent their son Jay to Israel last year to a thing called the kibbutz? It was a farm in Israel. And he was there for a year, and now he's back. He's in, I think he's in pre-med or something. Or some, some, you know, he's in college now. Would you want to try something like that? And it's funny, because that particular week, I was actually sitting in a friend's house where... Two of his friends who were visiting, actually Jewish kids, right. just got back from Israel. And they were speaking Hebrew, showing off, showing off their Hebrew. Like, you remember that. this? Yeah, I remember this very well. He actually, this particular person, this friend, actually invented the Advent speaker. You ever hear the Advent, Advent speakers? They're no. very, very high, high fi you know. Okay. And they were pretty, pretty good speakers, so. <laughs> that's, not, that's not important. And he is not Jewish and had He's a couple Jewish. of Jewish friends exactly. over at his house. Yeah, over at his house, yeah. They all used to hang out with each other. One of them was actually my older brother's age, so they had old, he was an older kid. Yeah. And um, I said, wow, we do, we do in Hebrew like that. He goes, well, I just came back from Israel. You know, I was on a visit. I took a half year off, went to Israel. So that, that impressed me. Why? Because uh, I said, wow, you know, these guys are speaking Hebrew. You know, they're Jewish. And they went to the Jewish homeland. And now they're back. And now my mother's saying, would you want to go to Israel? And we'll pay for you. We'll put you on a flight you know, in October. Take a year off, maybe before you start college. And I said, well, OK. Sounds great to me. My, my first plane ride in my life. You know, really? Foreign country, on my own, away from, away from my parents, away from my family influence, you know, just on my own for a year. Sounds pretty cool. I said, okay, I'll go for it. And boom, they stuck me on a plane and ended in Israel. <laughs> you, re you remember the process? Like, do you remember the process of figuring out where you were going to work? Like, was there an organization that took well, care first, of that stuff no, for no, you? First, we, we had to go to see the Shuliak. It was a Shuliak. Okay. In those days, this is 1974 now. Right, okay. And in those days, there were no men on kibbutz. They're all in Middle East, mopping up the West Bank and forming, building fences and taking, you know, cleaning up minefields. And they were, right they, after the '73 after, war. After the '73 war. Sure, sure. So kibbutzim were very hot up for, uh, very desperate for volunteers. In fact, there was a whole scandal where Shalichim were getting buzzed for sending volunteers to certain kibbutzim because they were being paid off. Wow. I heard, I heard like story. bribe to send to us instead of to the yeah, other ones, yeah. that kind of thing. Wow. So I went to Shulia first, but the thing is, I had no idea what to expect. I had no idea what Israel was about, security, you know, bitachon and all that stuff. So I actually showed up at the security, the front door to the, the council with, with a bag of marijuana in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and also, these guys with you know, you know, guns and, and mirrors and metal detectors and the dog. I said, whoa, 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 guys, what? Is it okay if I leave this room and go downstairs to my car and come back? <laughs> and they, they started speaking Hebrew to each other. My mom said, why? I said, Ma, just trust me. I want to go back to the car and I'll come back. What's going on? You have marijuana in your pocket, right? <laughs> she said that as a joke? Yeah, my mother said that. She, okay. she, she knew what she was dealing with. Okay. I said, no, I, I have a little bit of grass, yes. I, I, I don't you know, I want to get busted. That's one of the She goes, don't worry, you won't get busted. Just give us the bag. We'll give it to you when you leave. It's not part of, we're not connected to that. We're, this is Israel. You're in, a, you're in a council now. That was my first experience. Interesting. So, um, and then they, they, they told me what, what the Shiliak, uh, I forget his name, Jonathan Bloom, I think Jonathan something, I forget now. 
he uh, he told us what the life on kibbutz was like, what to expect, and uh, it sounded good to me. And I said, okay, I'll go for it. Do you remember how he described it? Like, what kinds of things did he say? He said, it's yeah, an agricultural farm, you know, you'll probably work in the fields, you know, there's cotton on this particular kibbutz. Actually, the kibbutz he sent me to was one of the, was one of the richest kibbutzim in the country then. Interesting. It was a kibbutz Hogan. They were famous for their Hogan melons and plastics. They did hmm. all kinds of canvases and bed sheets. I mean, I mean, curtain, curtains and stuff. They were, they were famous. And it was a uh, yeki kibbutz, they called it. It was a Moki Czechoslovakian. But very, which I, didn't matter to me then, because he was talking politics now. He said, it's a very left-wing kibbutz. I said, oh, left-wing, right-wing, what does that mean? I, I, don't know, I had no connection to that then. I said, it sounds good to me, you know, you know, out in the sun in a hot country in the Middle East, you know, fine, fine I'll, it sounds good. So he you know, just went for it. So your, your mom's with you in this meeting? Yeah, the whole time, yeah. yeah. And, and she thinks, it seems, she thinks... Israel is where you go to, like, get your head together. Yeah, it was very popular. Right? Back in the 70s, it was, it was, so, it was so well known. That you, 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 have a, you have a troublesome Jewish youth? Send yeah. to Israel. How troublesome were you? Not, not that troubled. I mean, I mean you uh, were headed to college, so you I wasn't you headed to college. I wasn't headed to college. Oh, you no weren't? Plans, you know. My father got upset that I told him I had no plans of going to college. Oh, interesting. I said, I want to take a year off. Think about it. Right. So um, they, they weren't very happy over that. <laughs> So, you know, that's what you did in those days. You sent the kid to Israel. I, and so uh, she wasn't so fussy, I guess, about where you wound up. She just wanted to know you were going to get no, it, it, meals and yeah, a roof over your head. Exactly. Right? I was just in a safe place, you know, working, working hard. You know, you know. And again, she kept mentioning marijuana. She kept mentioning, she mentioned to him as well. <laughs> and is he allowed to smoke marijuana in Israel? And she said, actually, no, they're very strict. And in those days, in the 70s, you could, if you got caught with marijuana or hash or something as a teenager in a kibbutz, they sent you right home. Really? They busted you first and sent you right home. Wow, interesting. She says, we're very strict in Israel. Don't even think about it. She says, that's good. That's good. That's good for him. <laughs> okay, so, so in that meeting, the decision's made about where you're going to go? Yeah, right, right there. And then, you know, okay. Obviously, you know, he knew exactly which kibbutz he wanted to send me to. He had a whole list. He had a whole list. Right. So why he sent me to that particular kibbutz, I have no idea. Maybe, maybe he had connections with the kibbutz. Maybe he was, you know, maybe he was getting paid one, off. One of these paid off. Yeah. Kid, you know, you know. So, so then you got to tell your friends that you're going to Israel. Yeah, I, tell, I told my friends I'm heading out here. I'm out here for a year. I'll be back in a year. You know, see when I get back. You know, right. Uh, Not such a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. You know, a couple of them worried. You know, you're going to be okay over there. There's war over there. There's fighting. I hear they have camels in the street. I go, I, we'll see. I'll, I'll let you know when I get over. I get over I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. So, so fine. Yeah. So then you, you pack your bags. Pack my bags, and then uh, 4th of October, got on a plane, landed in uh, Tel Aviv, and uh, they, they actually st- the, the suck newts, suck us in a hotel, a hostel, mm-hmm. which is in a place called the Hotel Monopole. Which is like right downtown Allenby, Allenby doesn't go for uh, yeah. where they, they connect. Ben Hooter and Allenby, and in those days that part of Tel Aviv was like all the drug deals were and prostitutes and it was like a real sh- real shady part of town. Wow. So I, I go, this, this is Israel, man. This is pretty shady looking, you know, pretty shady looking. Real. Middle was the hotel itself also a dump? Yeah, dump, real dump, yeah. So you're like, what, what have I done? I wasn't very impressed. I go, okay, I hope it's not. <laughs> I wasn't very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> like being dropped off in like downtown Boston, they, they used to call the combat zone, you know, the, the adult entertainment center. You know, it was like, oh, well, like that's how it felt. It was a real rough part of town. There were some druggies and homeless people on the street. So how'd you deal? 
It's only that one Pardon night. Pardon the pun. It was, only, it was, only, it was just, just the one, the one night. And the next morning, oh, okay. this van, white van shows up with all these uh, kibbutziks with, with, with afros and curly hair and you yeah. know, long style. Oh, these are people I can relate to, you know? Right, right. They threw us into a van and uh, we drove north to Gibbetshogan. Which is where? Which is right near Beit Lit, near Netanya. Okay. Between Netanya, between Beit Lit and Hadera on Route 4. Got it. Got it. Okay. Right across from Kibbutz Mabot. A little bit inland from Netanya. Yeah, it's like nine kilometers away. Yeah. 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 Okay, and you land there. So land what, there. what happens? Well, they, you know, we told us in the van they were telling us you'll be volunteers. We're gonna put you in volunteer homes, and they give us like sort of put us in a room for orientation. There are like twelve of us, well, twelve volunteers, and they put it. They showed us where our rooms were gonna be, and they they said no, you'll have a discussion tonight. We're gonna, to, you know, when you'll be studying Hebrew, when you'll go off to who's gonna work where. There's factory work, there's you know, kitchen work, there's field work. And uh, they said, we'll let you know in the morning for the final decision, who's going to work where, once we get to know who's who, and who's strong, who, you know, who's, you know, who can handle the field work, who's, you know, we'll decide, we'll let you know. So in the morning, over breakfast, the guy comes to my table and says, uh, you're the kid from Boston, right? I said, yeah. He said, you ever work in cotton? I said, there's not much cotton in Boston. <laughs> We're going to stick you in the cotton fields. What am I going to do? We'll explain to you in the tractor on the way out. They stick me, this, is, this is my first and the next morning in Israel, the second yeah. day in Israel, you know. They stick me in a, in a trailer in the back of the tractor, a couple other guys. And he said, what you're going to be doing is uh, you're going to be, be cotton stomping. Uh, in America, you have things like you have with, with the strong Israeli accent, obviously. You have, in America, you have, you have cotton pickers. Did you know this thing called cotton stomping? I go, no, what's that exactly? Well, we have to compress the cotton into big bales. Now, ah, now, in, mod okay. in modern it. times now, there's compressors that do that. Sure. Now there's big, they have these big wheels of cotton in the fields when it comes to picking season. So in those days, kibbutzim didn't have, didn't have compressors. They had volunteers climb a ladder to up to a stage pretty high up in the cage, and you would just jump onto the cotton and stomp it down. I spoke recently with Myrna Bennett, Naftali Bennett's mother. Okay. She said her husband, Zichon Libracha, had a similar job. He had to like lie in the back of a, of a flatbed behind a tractor to flatten cotton. Yeah, flatten cotton. So there's a similar kind of thing. Otherwise, it would fly away. Right. So that was his job yeah, yeah. on kibbutz. He just, he yeah. just sat, sat there with a book reading in the back of a flatbed. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is it's a cage. So you you jumped. I jumped on a cage. So meanwhile, he, while he's talking, <laughs> I'm looking out in the field. I see way up on the other side of the field this cage with I see people. I couldn't tell who they were, or what they were, female or male. Yeah. Jumping onto his cotton, I go on the hot sun. I go. It was early in the morning still, but it's still pretty hot out. And um, so we finally get, we approach the cage, and who's in the cage? Three Finnish and Swedish, two two Finnish Finnish and one Swedish girl, blonde, right. you know, very beautiful, jumping on the cotton. I go, I'm going in there. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad deal. This is my first impression of Israel, right? <laughs> so next thing you know, I'm romping in the cotton with these beautiful girls in the cotton. And I'm like, oh, Ma, you sent me to heaven. I, uh, <laughs> my first impression, that's my first impression of Israel. Then in the afternoon, you come home from after work, you know, stomping cotton all morning, and you sit by the, you know, after lunch, you go to the pool, hang out by the pool. In the evening, we had like two hours of um, Hebrew. Every day? This was your day? Every day, my day, every day, for six months. For the, for now, you're, just to describe people, you're a naturally tan guy. Yeah. You must have been really dark. I was really black. Was, right. And I'll tell you another, another story attached to that subject later on if you want. Okay. Later on in life. Sure. <laughs> sure. 
I was very, I got very black, and I, my hair got very blonde and ringletty blonde, and um, I had my goatee, and it was like all white from bleach and sun. It was, it was, it was, it was a nice look. I was very tanned, <laughs> very, very tanned. <laughs> I was young. Yeah. I was, I was 18 years old, you know. So how long did you do this? Well, I worked in the, in the cotton for six months. Then after the, after the cotton six months, they said, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, we've, everything's picked now. Now we have to irrigate the fields and set up for the irrigation for the spring. So now you had to work. So now I had to work, carry these big heavy pipes on my shoulder and go from, from aisle to, you know, lane to lane, right. carrying these big pipes over the cotton bushes and stuff. It was, it was pretty hard. It was a lot of work. I got in very great shape. You know. Now, now during, this, during this period of time, let's say from the, the jumping, the cotton jumping, to, uh, stomping to the, to the, the, the pipe carrying, yeah. we're talking like six months here? Four uh, months? Over, over a year. The six, okay. The, the cotton so, stomping was like, well, the, not, the cotton stomping didn't last six months. The, cotton, the actual stomping lasted like a few weeks until okay. we picked all the cotton. Right. But this experience of being on the kibbutz is like, you said, over a year. Yeah, up to a year. What's happening in your mind at this point? You come from Boston, which is, like, like you said to, to the guy in the kibbutz, it's like as far away as you can get from a cotton farm exactly. as, as possible. Right. Um, I mean, Boston is not any old city. It's a special kind of city, you know, like... It's a city boy. It's yeah. a real, yeah, and, and now you're on a kibbutz, and, and it's like work, pool, Hebrew. Yeah. What's going through your mind about, like, where your life is? Just the freedom, the sense of freedom that I was, I was maturing into an adult now without my parents being around, without my family, the infants of my family, or siblings, older siblings or anything, or the rough streets of Boston. I was like, I'm on my own. I was, you know, I was shaping my personality, my, my, my future. As, as the person I'm going to be in, you know, later on. I mean, I, I loved it. I just loved the whole, the whole scene, the warm weather and the people from all over the world that were volunteers there. Um, learning Hebrew was fun because I, I had an adventure with the Hebrew. Everyone else in my open class didn't have Hebrew, didn't go to Hebrew school. They were all, uh, most of them were Goyim, most of the volunteers. Well, okay. They were Goyim from Ireland, from other countries, from Germany, England. And uh, I was surprised when I got to Israel to realize that a lot of the volunteers weren't Jewish. But the, in those days, Israel took non-Jewish volunteers, yeah. no problem at all, you know? Sure. And uh, because I went to Hebrew school as a kid, one thing I learned was how to read and write. So Opan classes became, was quite easy because I, I, I was always reading and writing already. Which I could understand, I could, I could read, you know, it came easy. I couldn't read the newspaper yet because there's no vowels. Right. So that helped a lot, so that, that helped me a lot. So I enjoyed Opan class at night. And I, I met someone very nice who so I moved in with. It was, wasn't usually allowed, but because I was there for close to a year, they, they allowed me to move in with somebody. And uh, we were a couple for a while. So I, was in, I was in love, which was nice. My ticket was good for one year. It was an open ticket. So I, so I was approaching that, that coming October. Yeah. And I was going back to Boston. And I really loved kibbutz. And in fact, one of the secretary approached me one morning and said, you know, we really love your work. You're very dedicated to your work in the irrigation. We'd love to have you as a, uh, apply to be a candidate to be a kibbutznik. I said, I can't, I'm going home. I'm going back to Boston. I have to go to school, get a degree, maybe get, you know, get a job. <laughs> right. That's what you did in America. In America, you yeah. finished high school, you, go, you went to college, you got a job, right? No question. And so that was, that was still in my mind. I had, I had to get a degree. And um, so I said, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll come back and visit one day. And um, so that last, that last month before I left the country, I think I get one, one last tan, so I went down to the Sinai, because Sinai was still ours then, it still belonged to Israel. So this is like September 75? 75 now, yeah. Okay. September Red Sox are having a good season. Yeah. <laughs> September 75. Really? I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the Carlton Fisk year. 
I mean, it didn't end well, but... Yeah, I wasn't following it back okay. then. I was three. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Okay, so anyway, so I went down to the Sinai and just hung out there for a month. And I uh, got black skinned and you know, white hair and white beard. So when I actually got off the plane in the airport in Boston, my mother and father were waiting for me in the, in the, the arrival lounge with yeah. my uncle, actually. My uncle came with to say hello. Okay. And I walked right by them. They didn't, you know, they didn't recognize me. You didn't realize they were going to be there. I know they, they, I knew they were there. So, so you walked by them because you wanted to see if they were Yeah, I was you. walking towards them. They were, they were, they were looking okay. right past me like with my, with my son Dave. Wow. I had all this white curly hair and I had a beard, you know. And I came up behind I go, you guys waiting for me? Oh my God, we didn't recognize you. You like some hippie, you know. Wow. I looked, I looked so different, you know. I was short over the years. I was bigger and stronger and you know, healthy, clean skin, you know. So in the car... From the airport to home, my father said, you know, you were always good at math in, in school. I don't, we, should, we checked out your transcripts. I hope you don't mind, but mom and dad, mom and I sent your transcripts to an engineering school called Wentworth, which is right next to Northeastern. In Boston. In Boston. In Boston. Give it a try. We signed you. We signed I mean, they accepted you and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, I got in for, for building construction engineering. Okay. Because I, I was always a cop when I was young. I was always good with my hands. And... Um, so uh, my father said, it, it starts in two days. I said, yeah, two days? I, I got this thing called jet lag, you know? I mean, uh, uh, I hope I can do it. He's like, already getting cold in Boston already. And, like, rain, right. Sleety rain was falling. October. Already, you know? Yeah, October. Yeah. So I started school. I went, went to him with him, and here I am, here I am. I actually wore, I wore my white, I, this white Jalabia shirt, like an Arab shirt from, from the desert. I actually wore that to school. I still, still had a tan. I wore it to school the next day, even though it was freezing out. And the, that you know, that day in school, you know, all, all these rednecks were coming in for, who, like from the, from the boondocks, wearing uh, wearing flannel shirts and sure. tape measures and you know pens and pen, pen, carpenter pencils on their ears, you know. And in comes the school, in, in comes last year's student council to let the class know we have to pick somebody to nominate somebody to lead them for the, you know be, be represent be the rep for the year for student council. And this guy Jerome turns around, points at me, and says. We want Moses to lead us. <laughs> right. In class, I go, Moses, Moses, really? Moses. That was my nickname in high school, in college. Nice. In my name's Dave. It's not Moses, right? <laughs> so um, that went on for like three months. And about three months, my tan had gone away. And I, was, I was taking a bus to school every day, two, a bus and a train to school. And it was like raining out and snowing out. And I was freezing. I missed Israel, so I was so homesick for Israel. I said, I, I, yeah. I have to get out of here. I, I can't do this. I have, to, I have to go back to Israel. I love Israel. I want to hear, I want to hear some Hebrew. Really? So, so I walked down to the council. The Israel, it was down right down St. James Street, downtown Boston, right down the street from the school, to ask them, what kind of engineers Israel will need in five years when I graduate? <laughs> wow. That, that was, my, that was my, my, my goal. Yeah. I, I was going to try to stick it out, but I want to know what kind of engineer they will need in, you know, in five years when I graduate. So I was in the waiting room, waiting for the, the shuliach. There's a guy named Chuck Gelpie from uh, Babson College, doing, right. his, doing his master's on how to, form, how to form and finance groups of people. I don't know, something, something, some degree like that. And he asked me, what are you doing here? So I said, uh, the story I just told you, how I, I want to find out what kind of engineering, you know, what kind of engineers Israel will need in five years. He goes, you know what a garin is? I said, yeah, you, you, know, you eat them and spit them out at the bus station, right? <laughs> you know, you know Agarin is a nucleus of people that are going to Israel to Aliyah, you know, with, with Zionism and with idealists. My particular group that I'm setting up, 
wants to achieve a goal where they're setting up Jewish settlements amongst the Arab villages in the Galil, a place called Gush Segev. Right. He goes, in fact, this coming Sunday, the people from Chicago who started this group uh, in L.A. are coming to Boston for Kinus uh, convention to meet the Boston people. Why don't you come uh, at the Lennox, Hot Lennox Hotel downtown? Why don't you come meet the people? So I did. That Sunday, I didn't tell anybody. I, got, you know, I took my father's car downtown to the Lennox Hotel and had, went to this, this convention. I fell in love with these guys. They, 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 three of them in particular had these big Herzl beards. Right. Right. And, um, they made, made quite an impression on I me. Mean, I wanted to join their group right away. I want to be like them. I want to have a long beard and you know, go back to Israel and be like a Herzl and you know, be a pioneer and an idealist and a Zionist. Yeah. The whole spiel. And after, after, the, after the convention, it was mid-afternoon, I said, what are you guys doing now? He said, well, our, our plane to Chicago doesn't go back for another eight hours. So what are you going to do? Well, we figured we'd hang out downtown Boston. I said, what do you say you hop in my car? We'll go, to my, we'll go to my home, we'll meet my parents, and we'll tell, we'll tell my parents this group, about, all about this group that I'm joining. <laughs> wow. Meanwhile, your parents didn't even know why yeah. you went to the Lennox yeah, Hotel. No I had no idea. I just took the car for the morning. Yeah. Sunday, Sunday morning, I took the car for the day. I said, I'm going to see somebody. And um, so I walk into my father and my parents' house. Uh, with these, with these two, actually, only two of them came in the end for lunch. I walk in with these two guys uh, who were actually my, my closest friends to this very day. Really? Very close friends. Was, you know, one's in Chicago, one's living right here in Kibbutz. Uh, wow. And my father goes, whoa, whoa. My father grabs the arms and says, what's going on here? I go, Dad, these are my new friends. And I'm joining their group, and I'm going back to Israel. These, both these guys have like Herzl beards? Her Herzl beards, yeah. yeah. Herzl, yeah. Okay. And uh, I'm, jo I'm joining this group, and I'm going, they, they, this group that they're forming, and going, going back, I'm going back to Israel in February. It's coming February, in a couple of months. What? You're quitting school and joining a cult? I go, Dad, I'm not joining a cult. These are, these are Jewish guys. I'm, I'm going to Israel. You sent me to Israel. I fell in love with Israel. I, 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 want, I want to make Aliyah. What the hell is Aliyah? <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. He had no idea. He had no idea. You know, he was pissed off that I was, I was leaving, leaving school. <laughs> right. You're joining a cult. This is a cult. Look at these guys. Look at those beards. I go, Dad, those are... Those... <laughs> Now, those are Herzl beards. Who's Herzl? <laughs> oh, really? Just no idea. He had no idea. No, he was angry. The guy was angry. You know, he had no yeah. idea. Totally, had no idea what was going on in Israel. Was, yeah. Um, Hardworking guy, you know. So that February, I was back on a plane, back in Israel. You know, wow. Up, just my, yeah. They popped us down in, up in the Galil, and, um, in these little uh, Kubi, they call Kubi, little prefab buildings, and we were the pioneers for Gush Egev, which is a very thriving Gush to this very day. Next to Sakhnin and Dekhana I want to rewind for a second and, and, and talk about that year when you were in Israel, that first year when you were in Israel on the kibbutz. Because you mentioned that when you met with the shaliach in the beginning, you didn't care about left wing, left wing right wing, yeah, yeah, any yeah, of that yeah. stuff. You just knew, like, Israel is a place where Jewish kids go. Exactly. Did your sort of outlook on... Israel and the Jewish people change at all during that year, or did you just feel like it was a great positive year? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one second. I actually, I actually felt at home because why? Because they were left wing. These, the people in Kibbutz Hogan, these are the ones that came out of the, came out of the Holocaust hating right. God. There is no God. Right. Why did God do this to us? Why should we believe in God? So they, they would serve pork f for dinner sometimes. So they, they, they would feed us on Yom Kippur. There was no, there was no Yom Kippur in this group. So I, I felt at home. I felt like, okay. That's how you grew up. This is how I grew up. You know? 
So that maybe, maybe maybe that's why in the end I, th- I think about it. That's why Jonathan sent me to that kibbutz because he knew I was secular. Interesting. No background in Israel. Right. You know, soft landing. Yeah, you know, soft landing exactly. I felt right at home with these people from Hungary and Czechoslovakia that have been there since the 1930s. Right. You know, the, I mean, kibbutz was formed in the 1930s, and then the Holocaust survivors came after the war, obviously. Right. Your perspective on life in Israel didn't change at all during that year? It was not, just not, a comfortable, happy year? It was, it was a comfortable, happy year where I didn't, you know, there's, there's obviously no religion in my life then. There's nothing at all, just uh, totally secular. And I felt comfortable, yeah, it was a comfortable year. Uh, okay, okay, so back to, yeah. back to the story. So, so you're, you're part of a galin in, uh, in the Galil. In the Galil, yeah. And what was life like there? Well, it was, it was, uh, pretty, it was pretty tough because some of us didn't have work, some of us did. I actually shipped my motorcycle in from America, so I, I was actually mobile. Right. So I took on jobs in the Haria and the surrounding areas for various jobs I was doing. I was actually, I went back to irrigation on, on Shevet Zion, which is right next, uh, Moshav, right next to the Haria. Right. Because I knew irrigation. Right. From your kibbutz experience. So I worked there as well. I worked in a because I'm a carpenter. I worked in a carpentry school, uh, reform school. For, for bad kids from Haifa that I was, I taught them carpentry. I was, it was a rough time. I didn't last long there. <laughs> uh, I worked in a framing shop in the Haria, picture frame shop. But what what happened during the period leading up to returning to Israel that made you say, "I want to be part of a garin to settle to to be a pioneer"? Was it? Just the sense of adventure, or or was yeah. there a commitment to building the land of Israel? I want, I want to build, I want to build the land of Israel. Where did that come from? Just loving the country, just love the, loving the climate, the people, you know, the Hebrew and, and the food, the, the culture, everything. Yeah. I love this country. I want to come back and help build it because it was still very young then. Right, you know, nineteen seventy, beginning of nineteen seventy six. Except after the seventy war, this country was euphoric. I mean, like we won another war, even though we lost a lot of people. Right. This country was euphoric. They were like, you know, let's build this country up again and make it strong now. It was a, nice, it was a very, very positive feeling. And I, 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 I felt that when I was here. So for how long were you up there? We were up there for uh, close to two years. Um, we were mostly singles that formed the group. The funding came from Chicago. Uh, actually, the leader of our group, Yami Isaacs, his mm-hmm. father was uh, head of ZOC then, the Zionist Organization of Chicago. Oh, okay. They put it together. And he was like he was like our guru, you know. Right. And one day, Arya Dulcin from the Saknut, who was the head of the Saknut then, approached us uh, and said, "You know, you've got couples and singles here. I have some issues I want to discuss with, only with the couples." Okay. Why? We're, we're, we're the singles. We formed this group. We got the funding. We're the, we're the real pioneers. The couples came, jumped on the bandwagon later on. Sure. Except for a couple of couples, that, a couple of couples that came from Chicago were friends of the singles. They came along with them as well. Okay. But then other couples joined after that. And basically, he took the couples down to the Moedon uh, meeting house. Yeah. And um, told the couples basically, more or less, get rid of the singles and we'll give you your permanent homes. Wow. The, the mountain across the way was where they already broke the ground to, to build our homes. We were getting, we were getting free homes. Right. And um, so, because we suspected he would do that, we actually ran down, put a tape recorder in the room, and taped him saying that. Really? Yeah. So we approached, we accosted him after that. And, you guys are a bunch of black radical reactionaries, you know, I'm gonna tell your parents in Chicago to cut your funding off, you know, a real mess. Yeah. In the end, we, we separated, the group, the group separated. Um, 
to this very day, it's the singles that are here now. Most of the singles are st still stay in the country, and the couples are all gone, long Interesting. gone. And we, we, the singles that stay, they got married and formed families. And, you know. Not many of those, only like four of us left in the country. That didn't sour you on, on continuing to build the land? I, again, because me personally, yeah. I'm, I'm the kind of guy who goes with the flow. I said, okay, okay. this guy screwed us over. What, what, what are we going to do now? Right. So a bunch of us sat down one night, and we said, okay, this whole idea of settling the Galil, you know, it's a great idea, and it's here to stay, obviously, but, you know, they, get, they, they try to dump us. We can't live with these couples now. We, we, we split up. So four of us went down to Jerusalem, got an apartment. And once we were in the apartment, we, were, we had a home base. We said, let's go to the army now. So we all went to the army. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually were forced to. I mean, I, 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 in those days, when we made Aliyah. Once, once, once I actually made, I made Aliyah. Once you make Aliyah, which I did when I came in with that group. Right. The government gave you a year to decide what you're you going to do. Got it. You're 20 at this point? 21? I was, uh, yes, 21. 20. 20. Okay. 20. 20, yeah. So you went to the Army? Went into the Army. All four of you All together? All four of you went to the Army together. Well, in, in a way. Okay. And then comes my, mo my motorcycle life interfered once again. Yeah. Like it has all my life. Seriously. <laughs> I had the flu on the day of the Gews. They have to go go into the induct. What do they call it? the draft? The day of the yeah, draft. Yeah. Induction. Induction. And the army said, you know something? Next Friday afternoon, we're going to have a separate use for induction for people who were sick who couldn't make it. And what we'll do is we'll make make you a soldier. We'll send your kit back up to the base on sun so Sunday morning. You'll, we'll give you a bus ticket. You'll go. You'll become a soldier on a Friday morning, a special induction date. And Sunday, you'll show up at the base, and everything, everything, your uniform will be there, everything will be there waiting for you. And, oh, great. So, I have, uh, so I'll take my, my bike, I take my, my motorcycle to the to Tel Shemir, where, where, where the induction took place. Right. And I took my friend Paul, who was also doing the same thing. On the way back from that, the induction base in Tel Shemir, we came down to a, a junction called the Nakshon, right, right, near, right near here in the Beit Shemesh. Right. Which was a really one path road then. Now it's, a major, now it's a major junction with lights and everything. True. In those days, it was a little, you know, you barely pass from going different directions. Right. As I approached the junction, the bus driver there, who was full of uh, students coming back from Givad Brenna, high school students, who actually were from Kibbutz Zohar, where I ended up living two years later. Interesting. <laughs> okay. The bus driver looked both ways and gave me, waved to me, you can go, continue, everything's fine. He looked both ways, the cloaks was clear, so I sped up. What he didn't see was on the shoulder of the road next to him was uh, an old man in a van with full of oranges trying to rush to Tel Aviv before, before Friday came, before Shabbat came in. Right. And he jumped in right in front of me, and I ran into him. You ran into him? I ran right to him, right to full, you know, like 80 kilometers an hour. My friend went flying. Right. He broke his, he landed in the field, but I, I smashed into the truck and I broke a lot of bones. <laughs> wow. It was really bad. So it, was, it, put my, it put my army life out for a while. So you're just in the hospital recovering. Recovering once again, a lot of you know broken bones and having to heal. And wait, how many broken bones? Uh, jaw, elbow, hand, arm, knee, leg, ankle. Oh my gosh! You're like evil can evil. Collarbone, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a bad accident. My, my, my last bad big accident. Right. And um, so my friends went ahead with the army. They went ahead with the whole army procedure of you know, doing basic training. I caught up to them, I caught up, I got strong enough to catch up with them right at the end of basic training where they went on to become paratroopers. And I was told that, well, you know, you, you're recovering from all these injuries, no way, you can't do paratroopers. We'll make you either a driver mm -hmm. or, or a medic. And we suggest taking being a medic. 
אוקיי. אוקיי, אתה מקים אמריקה, אני ברוך'ה. כשאתה וואו. of people who were joining our new group. In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, in our apartment. Right. So finally, so the Saknu said, you know something? We're going we're to put you on a thing called Hakshura. It's like a training period on a place called Kibbutz Tzura near Beit Shemesh. Wow. And they, they knew what they were doing. The Saknu knew exactly. The, the Saknu had experience. You take a Goreen, stick them in Kibbutz, they absorb into Kibbutz. They absorb. Exactly what happened. Some of our Goreens stayed there in Kibbutz. But the funny, the funny thing is, though, when I first moved there, I went to the dining room, like one of the first times I was there, and as I walked into the dining room, some kid pointed at me and said, it's him, he lived, he didn't die in the accident. Right? The, the motorcycle. Yeah, then I, found out that, then, I, then I found out that they were the kids on the bus. Oh, no way. Because the word spread to the kibbutz that some guy from Nachal, that's the branch of service I was in, had shown up as a soldier on kibbutz with a, with a beat-up motorcycle that was in a serious accident that he's going to rebuild. I carried the bike with me. And they put two and two together. This is the guy who had the accident. He lived. That's unbelievable. <laughs> really funny. Small world, small country. Yeah. So, yeah, so they, they stuck us on kibbutz to us. So my last six months of service, to sort of rehumanize yourself, so I was, uh, we, were on, we were on kibbutz, where we still had meetings for our new green. Now, Tzorah is, uh, is not a left-wing kibbutz. No. Like, uh, like the one in, yeah, it's, it's more so, sort so of that, standard. Right? Yeah, South African, you know, conservative. 
Again, no religion really. Mm-hmm. Nothing's just you know. We had the holidays, no no show, no governing or anything going on. Right. Again, yeah. so I felt comfortable there. And um, so I, I worked in cotton. I worked in uh, avocados. I worked in the melons. Then one night, this is how my whole hairdressing part of my life began. One night, a fellow a fellow kibbutznik uh, comes to my, my my room, knocks my door. South African girl with curly hair. Dave, can you cut my hair? His scissors and comb. I said, I don't want to cut hair. She said, no, just curly hair, just grab my curls, just cut the curls, I'll let you know, we'll look, we'll look together in the mirror and I'll let you know where to cut. Okay. So I grabbed, I just grabbed her hair and just cut, 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 you know, okay, and fell on the floor and I, that's it, it was finished. Now in those days, if you walked into the Cheddar Hill, the dining room, at nighttime with a nice haircut, that means you'd been to Tel Aviv because Jerusalem had no hairdresser you could, to speak of. There was nobody that was worth going to in Jerusalem. It was a backwash of a town here, wow. hairdressing-wise. Okay. And um, so we walked into the Cheddar Ochel after a haircut for dinner, and people would say, oh, you, oh wow, you, you were in Tel Aviv today? He said, no, why? Well, who cut your hair? Goes, this guy, Dave, this, the Nachal soldier, he, he cut my hair. No way, right? That night, a volunteer knocks on my door with straight hair. Here's a scissors, here's a comb, she's from Sweden. Can you cut my hair? I said, I'm not a hairdresser. Well, you did a great job on Sandy. She had curly hair, I just cut away. You've got dead straight hair. I can't cut your hair, right? <laughs> I cut her hair, came out nice. Every night, someone else, someone else, someone else, someone else. So one morning, I'm, having, I'm getting ready to go to the, the melons. And uh, the secretary of the approached me and said, you know, you seem to like cutting hair. What do you say you just go, go into a, a hairdressing salon? We don't have a hairdresser right now. And start cutting hair. I said, I'm not, I'm not a hairdresser. I can't, I can't cut hair. I'll just give it a try. So I went to the beauty salon. I checked it out, started cutting hair there. Said, Old ladies once in a while. I, it, it was weird. It was very strange for me. I, I'm not a hairdresser, right? It was, not, it was not interesting to you at this point? Uh, not really, no. Not cutting like, were you artistic hair. growing up? Uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a, 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 artistic. I was good, good with my hair. Always good with my hair. Okay. I was a carpenter. Okay, right. I used to you know, build motorcycles and build things and you know, pick things apart. You know, I was yeah. Very good with my hands. Yeah. So in the meantime, my service is coming to an end. What am I going to do, right? Again, that degree all hanging over my head. I have to get, get that degree right and get a job. Right? And then my, my army's finished now. I can't just show up in Jerusalem now. Our group had broken up because they absorbed it. They absorbed into keyboards. They, they stole our group. Right. My girlfriend at the time, who lives in Jerusalem, said, what are you going to do? I said, well, you know, uh, I guess I'll go back to Boston and finish my engineering degree. <laughs> really? You really thought this? I, I, I wanted to get a degree. I wanted to have, yeah. the, you know, have the ed- educator right, and get a job. That's the, the, your brainwash to think in, in those days. True. These days, too, it's the same. You know, get education, get a job. Right. So she said, oh, please don't leave. If you, if you go back to Boston, you know, and get, you know, when, when maybe go to school here. I said, I can't, I can't. He was not good enough. I have to do, you know, preparation, a thing called Mechina. Yep. And she said, well, you know, look at this. She pulls out of her pocket an ad that was in the Jerusalem Post that weekend saying that Israel's first British hairdressing salon opening up in Jerusalem looking for juniors and students. Interesting. Said, look, why don't you apply for this job? And you'll come to Jerusalem. You and I will live together and you'll cut hair. I said, I'm not, a, I'm not a hairdresser. Why does everyone think I'm a hairdresser? <laughs> you seem to like it. Give it a try. Just interview with the guys. I came to Jerusalem. There were these British guys and Australian guys. One was from Perth, uh, Tony Khan, and, and it was Peter from London. And another guy, some, some investor from uh, Australia, built this beautiful palace of a salon in downtown Jerusalem. Uh, right. All British trained. All, they, they imported hairdressers from Ireland and England. I'm sorry. I'm so ignorant about this. British hair... Dressing is a thing? 
Oh, British, British is, is like yeah, significant? The, the top of the world. Interesting. The French, like, the French think they are, but no, the British have always outdone the wow. with hair shows and all, all, all the famous names. Mike, you know. No, I don't know any of them. Vidal Sassoon, okay, Mark Young, sure. Michael, yeah, yeah. Erwin Musk. Vidal Sassoon is British? British, yeah. British, yeah. Interesting. In fact, his sister lived there for many years and we used to cut her hair as well. Wow. So I in, in, interviewed with these guys and fell in love with them. They were just great guys, you know. Having, the night I met them for the interview, they were both drinking, both drinking brandy and they gave me a brandy and we sat down and we had a few drinks together and you know, they interviewed me and said, okay, great, you know, you seem to be cutting hair on kibbutz, it means you've got a feeling for it, that's what we want. I started working there. After about six months, I, I really fell in love with, with cutting hair because they had a great clientele. We, they were very famous. It was Israel's first British English-speaking salon in, right. in Israel. Right. You know, all the Israelis knew that you know, Britain was the place to learn hairdressing, right? But they, didn't, they hadn't yet gotten to the stage where they actually fly there themselves. Right. So we started teaching them. We had a school. But after about six months, I realized, you know, the, the British system is, you know, you, you stay shampooing hair at the sink for like two years before you can cut hair. I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to waste two years of my life just shampooing hair every day. Yeah. So I went off to London and studied where they studied. And lived there for a while and studied with some of the top schools there. Really? And they said, you know, you, if you leave now, we can't guarantee you a job when you come back. I said, okay, I'll, I'll take that chance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I came back a few months later, you know, after training there in London at some top schools, and they took me back, and uh, I started working there. We made the, made the place very famous, and we became so famous that you know, Weller and Louis, all the big companies, all the supply companies, used us for doing hair shows on stage. We were always on stage and teaching these girls how to cut hair, how to color hair, you know, great fashion and music. Wherever we walked around Jerusalem, we were like, oh, the place, the place was called Roots. Okay. So wherever we walked around Jerusalem, we always hung out with the crew. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, there's the Roots crew. And people would stare at us and point at us. And really? Free. You were known? We were known. The Jews were so small then. Yeah. We'd walk into the pie house, you know, and we'd get free pies and have a free dinner because, you know, we were cutting the guy's wife's hair or something, you know. Right. Uh, Mama, the restaurant, Mamma Mia, we, we cut the whole family's hair and they'd give us, we all had free <laughs> wine and, and food all the time. It was, Interesting. It was, it was a great life. So at this point, you you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm yeah, like yeah. I've, I've, I've created a, a job. I got a job. And yeah. living in Jerusalem or living in Soa? Living in Jerusalem. Soa was always fine. I left Soa. Yeah. I, left, I left the kibbutz and moved to Jerusalem with my girlfriend. And uh, we moved in together and uh, established my life in Jerusalem. I lived there for a long time. Not religious at all at this point? Not religious at all. Not at all. Never, never, had, never had a chillant. Never had a Shabbos lunch. You know, a Yom Shishi meal. With any, none, none of my friends were religious. All my friends were secular. That whole life, the whole lifestyle I was living was secular. Like, hop on my motorcycle on Saturdays, go to the beach. Yeah. Hang on the beach. So when did things shift in that area? Uh, still, still, it's still a lifetime before I met Tamar. <laughs> I hear that. You know, the whole lifetime. Um, this is uh, this is like now the early eighties. Yeah. Um. I got actually I, I got married, my first wife, from Melbourne, Australia. Huh. And we were married for about a year, and I was still doing I was still doing a lot of reserve duty in the army. Okay. And we were we were, not, we were I wouldn't call it occupation. We were guarding Southern Lebanon. Got it. <laughs> Got it. And I, one of my trips one of my trips in Southern Lebanon was a long an ex, extra long stay as a medic in Lebanon, and my uh, my wife was freaking out. When I came back from uh, Lebanon that week, that particular stay, that that tour. I walk into the house and all, all our suitcases were in the living room. Everything was packed up. I go, what's going on? She said, I spoke to your brothers and, and your parents in Boston. Your brother will give us a condominium to stay in, in north of Boston, a place called Beverly. 
I found you a job in a tough salon in Newberry Street, which is like the Rodeo Drive of Boston. Right, sure. And right around the corner from there is my, because she was a dancer, she was a ballet dancer. Okay. Right around the corner from there, uh, I'll be starting to get my degree in dance. So you can be in a tough salon, I'll be my, getting my degree in dance, and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be in Boston. Wow. You coming? I said, wow. Boom, so I left Israel. You went? I left Israel in 85. This is unbelievable. In 85. So now I'm, now I'm in Boston again. Like you just, because you went with water. the flow. Hmm? You went with the flow. She's like, we're going to Boston. I'm like, you're like, okay, I'm going to Boston. Well, she's, she's from a very wealthy family. Interesting. Okay. Very, very well-known wealthy family. I won't mention her name because it's well, she's well-known. Okay. Uh, well, well-known, very popular wealthy family in Melbourne that made it very easy to pick up and just hop on a plane and move all our stuff and get a car and get an apartment and, you know, furniture to set right up home. We set up house in no time. Yeah. And... So now here we are, I'm, I'm cutting hair in Boston, hating it because I was a new kid in the block. And uh, Different part of Boston, too. Yeah, right, right downtown, the real ritzy, you know, yeah. the, ritzy, the ritzy life. And because I was a new kid in town, I, was, I had this British flair as far as hairdressing is concerned. Well advanced, way past the guys who I was working with. They were jealous. Hmm. So they went cahoots with the receptionist and they kept telling the receptionists, you know, give them all the old ladies that have one teasing and curls and rods. It's not, it's not his forte, right? <laughs> so I, I fell out of love with hairdressing. I couldn't deal with it. So, right. I, so one day I was uh, talking to a, uh, this guy, a friend of mine who's a carpenter from Britain. He said, when you join, I heard you were a good carpenter. What do you, what do you say you join, my, join me? You know, I'm, I'm, re, I'm refurbishing bonds. I'm taking old bonds. We're lifting, them up, lifting up bonds putting them to one side of the yard, pulling the foundation, bringing the bond back over and putting it back on the foundation. I go, what? <laughs> this is B-A-R-N. Yeah, right? yeah barn. Because you're, you're from Boston, yeah, so I have barn. to clarify that to the listeners. <laughs> Barnes. So, Got it. It's, okay. not the, it's not the first time I'm doing an interview. I've, I've had several, over the years, I've had several interviews about my life. People correcting my English, I know. <laughs> no, I'm not correcting your English. Is I'm it? just clarifying no, no, no. The, <laughs> the pronunciation for people. The barn. Your English barn, is perfect. A barn. <laughs> so uh, I went, again, with the flow. Jumped yeah. left hairdressing right into right into um, construction. Right, I loved it. It was beautiful, wonderful carpentry. Taking these old bonds, New England bonds, and turning into office buildings with, overlooking the sea and Marblehead right on the seafront. Yeah, it was wow. going very smooth. So in the meantime, I was you know becoming a carpenter now. Not missing Israel. Missing Israel every minute. Right. But now comes a span into the works. I had a brother who was diagnosed with AIDS. He was in Vietnam. Came home from Vietnam. He was a total junkie. Right. Couldn't get him off the junk. He was uh, shooting and shooting up with his friends and sharing needles, and he had AIDS. Yeah. I figured I'd stick around, you know, till you know, till the end. I ended up staying in Boston until '92, <laughs> from '85 to '92. And I was really a fish out of water. I got yeah. divorced. I got divorced. We just went our own ways and got divorced. And I left Carpentry. Tried hairdressing again for like a year. In Boston. It. In Boston, hated it again. Went into selling insurance with all, my family's an insurance family, financial oh, okay. insurance. Okay. In fact, there was one time there were five of us out of the eight. Really? Working in the same district. My brother Alan's a big, he's a big macha in financial insurance. Okay. And so um, here I am, now I'm, now I'm wearing a suit on the phone every day. So my brother had AIDS, he was working there as well. So one day, uh, it comes down to one day where I said, I can't take it, I slam the phone down. Here's Dave, I know, you, I know you're waiting for me to die. Go back, go, back to, go back to Israel. Go back to your life in Israel. I'll be fine. You know, this thing, there's this thing called AZT now, which we can take. We'll keep right. me alive. And we'll be in touch. I said, you sure? Yeah, okay, boom. Got up, 
walk into the manager's office, like said, I'm, I'm out here, I'm quitting. I was back in Israel a week later. <laughs> really? It's like that. Boom, 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 boom. How, how much longer did your brother live? Uh, that was 92. So 92, uh, that was May of 92. October of 92, I get a phone call in the middle of the night. Dave, he's, he's dying. Come home. Right. And he's, he's in a coma. I hopped on a plane, <clears throat> come, go to Logan Airport, right to the VA hospital. When I walk into his room, he's sitting up in bed and they're pulling all the, all the wires out of him. He says, oh, wow. You came all the way from Israel to watch me die? I'm sorry, man. I, I promise you, next time you come back, I'll die. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of sense of humor my brother Ronnie had, you know? Yeah. And um, so then I went back to Israel. <laughs> In fact, we, he and I went to the airport together. He was going to the Bahamas, and I was going back to Israel, right? <laughs> wow. That's how, that's how this thing called, this drug yeah, called AZT. Yeah, I remember AZT, sure. It kills the white blood cells, so you have, they have highs and lows, yeah. highs and lows, yeah. highs and lows. That's what he went through. And then uh, in 93, January now? Only a, few, only a few months later, another phone call. He's in a coma. Come back, you know, he's, you know, he's dying. And uh, this time I got back, he was in a coma. And he didn't come out of this coma. Right. He died. Right. He gave you an unbelievable gift yeah, by, yeah. by telling you you could come back here. Yeah, yeah. So I came wow. back. Wow. Yeah. That was 93. Yeah. So I come back to Israel. Right. What uh, do you, sorry, because he, he gave you the green light to come back here. You came back here, and then you went back there because yeah, you yeah, thought he had, he, that it was over, and then it wasn't over, so you came back here. Yeah. What were you doing in Israel at this point when you came back? Oh, by the way, in 92, when I came back. When I came back in 92, yeah. I went back to my old salon. Really? Went back to Roots. Interesting. Now okay. it's called Raffles because they changed the name because of tax reasons. Oh, okay. Because Paris was in power. He froze all the prices then. He froze the economy. So they froze the economy and they said, no, no one can raise prices for a year. So they changed the name so my, my and had new prices. Came back on <laughs> Smart, okay. <laughs> They're very shrewd businessmen, you know? Yeah. Now it's called Raffles. Right. I went straight back to work. They, they took me right back, you know? And now you liked hairdressing again? Yeah, I was back to back to, actually, the, the last thing I did before, before the insurance was hairdressing. I, I liked it, but I just couldn't, do it, I just couldn't do, do it in Boston. I couldn't do, couldn't do it the American way. Yeah. But I, would sell, I would sell insurance to you and then cut your wife's hair. Really? Exactly, yeah, I did. Wow. Okay, so you, so you, so... Is, let, me just back up, let me back up one second. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because also, when I, was, when I was a carpenter then, right. I left that guy, the British guy, and took on three brothers, and we had, a, we had a construction company called Phoenix. This is after the barns? After the barns, before the insurance. You did your own thing? My, my brother had a nightclub then. Huh. The one who had AIDS had a nightclub. He always wanted a nightclub. So he had a nightclub with two brothers. Right. That collapsed after a few years. I, I took one as carpenters. And we, uh, we, had a, we had a company called Phoenix Construction, built from the ashes. Right. Great name. We worked at mostly Jewish homes, Newton and Brookline, part of Boston, it was a Jewish area. Yeah. Four, you know, four single brothers, you know, who, four, four single Jewish brothers. Every time, every time you work in someone's home, all of a sudden, these mysteriously, you know, single woman would show up having coffee with you. <laughs> right. Right. It was nice. That was, that was a little part of history, it's all. So in 92, I came back here. And went back to the salon, went back to the salon, you know, kind of worried about my brother all the time, so it was very heavy in my heart and my mind. In 93, I had to leave again, I came back. When I came back in 93, that's when I met Tamar. That first week of being right. back in Boston. Right. Think, you know, Where'd you meet? She, Tamar came into my salon, a, friend, a mutual friend of ours from Nachlot, because the salon was in Nachlot, and she was living in Nachlot then. Said, I know of a great English-speaking hairdressing salon. You gotta check it out. 
She came walking in. I was free. I, you know, I, I fell in love right away. Really? Fell in love. I could see she was much younger. And she was like a Kalibak follow. She had like, you know, long, <laughs> long skirts and long sleeves and, you know, hippy-dippy knuckle and Yeah, type. yeah, yeah. I knew she was younger. And I said, okay, she was cute. I was, but I, I was attracted to her. I cut her hair. Next day she comes back and wants to uh, try to fix me up with one of her friends, her cousins, her friends. Her single, she had single friends and single mothers and, you know, people my age. And I said, I want, I want you. And she said, don't be ridiculous. Uh, I can see you're at least 10 years older than me and you're not religious. I am. It's not going to work. Forget it. Right. So over, over that coming year, because she lived around the corner from my salon, she invited me for lunch, for Shabbos lunch. My first, I had my first chon, which was vegetarian, which was disgusting. <laughs> it's not chon, you know. <laughs> Oxymoron, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, we became good friends. We, just, you know, we had coffee together a few times. And I, just, I would see her at a nightclub once in a while dancing, and then she invited me to her birthday party, and then we eventually hit it off and um, got engaged. Wow. Got engaged. She, was, she was from where? Uh, in Arbor. From Michigan? Yeah, Michigan, yeah. Right, right. So, wow. so, so, so let's talk about interviews. So Idel Ross, have you ever heard that name before? No. She works for, for Israel Radio. She had her own, her own magazine section of human, human interest stories every, every afternoon at 1 o'clock. This is Idel Ross, Israel Radio, this is my story. She said, Dave, can I do an interview, can I do a live interview on you with uh, you know, Tamar? She's religious, 10 years younger, you're a divorced hairdresser, secular. You know, the religious, the secular thing, you know, we both will leave and you know, you're getting married, can, can, can I put you on the radio? I said, yeah, okay. Go down to the studio the next day. I said, but my in-laws are in town now. So bring your in-laws, bring, bring, bring your mother-in-law as well, because my father didn't make it. My mother-in-law my mother made it instead. So here we are in the studio, live interview. Right. So when it came time for me to talk, he says, okay, give us your side of the story. So I said, well, you know, I was always on the secular side of the fence. Never, never met my bride, my true bride and true love. Now that I jumped the fence and I'm Shomir Shabbos now, I'm going to try to be Shomir Shabbos, at least, and learn. I met, met a beautiful bride and I feel like I've been rewarded. She goes, rewarded? Like, rewatering a plant? What do, what do you mean? <laughs> that Boston my, so accent my, my, again. <laughs> my mother-in-law says, you have to realize, Adele, Dave's from Boston. He means rewarded. <laughs> <laughs> So people who heard the radio, people who heard, who heard my friend who heard the, the interview on the radio, and for the next few months people say, hey Dave, we want it, we want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so, so this is around 93, 94, I guess, yeah, 94? got married in 94, yeah. Okay. And moved to Beit but, Shemesh? Or no, you no, lived no, in Jerusalem? We, no, we the same knuckled in my apartment for a while. From there we moved over to Old Katamon. Right. Off near Palmach, a place called, a street called Gidud Ivory Street, off Palmach. And uh, we lived there for a while, and then we started looking for homes. So when we looked for homes, we looked everywhere. We checked, we checked out Mali Domain. We wanted a nice house in, uh, outside the city. Yeah. With the scenery, a big house, you know. And um, then I heard, I heard about Bay Church, that it's a place that Tamar might like, you know, English-speaking, keeper, you know, knitted keeper. Right. Dati Lumi, her whole scene. And I'd be willing, to, I'd be willing to, you know, to learn and put up with that and go to, go to show and stuff, right? And uh, so we came to Beit Shemesh, found Cho Levine, looked at his house, and fell in love with this area, and I said, okay, we'll go for it. Bought it on paper. Right. And moved down here in 2000. And here you are 21 years later, still in the same house. Same, same, same house, yeah. I love it. Four here. kids. Four kids. What's it like growing up the way you grew up? What's it like to raise kids in Israel? Uh, I'm very proud. I'm very proud of the fact that, the, the, I'm very proud of the, fact that the, kids, the kids love it here. 
fact that the kids love Israel, I think they get that from, they get that from both of us. Tamar's love Israel, my love Israel. Um, two different types of love, because she comes from a religious point of view and I came from a you know, basic, just loving the country type point of view, right? Yeah. <laughs> In the way of life here. And the fact that the kid, my kids told me often, each one of them told me that they would never leave the country. Maybe, maybe they'd travel, they'd always want to live here. That's where they want to be, with their friends that were there established. How old's your oldest? She's 20, so next week, she's 27. And, and all of them, they've followed through on that? They, they want to be here still? Yeah, yep, yep. They're all established. Ronnie, she's in school now. My oldest one's a daughter. Ronnie, she's in her third year in art education. Wow. But she wants to work in that field one day. And Mika, who's 25, will be 26 in March. Hmm. He just started physics in Ben Gurion. And Gabi, who's, uh, who's one, of, one of Israel's champion swimmers at one time. Really? He's still swimming. He's teaching uh, in, in Herzliya and training with a group that's we're getting ready for the, ne- for the next Olympics. So he's like, he's, pretty, he's a very serious swimmer. He's a very, you know, very Israeli, very, you know, he's a very, very, um, well-known part of the army service, which he's still active in. And I can't tell, I can't tell you what it is, but very special elite unit. Okay. Um, Mika also was in a, was, a, you know, was also in a very special unit. So they're very, they're connected, you know. You know, Israel, you know, when you first got here in 74, Israel was a very young country, but Israel's still a young country. Yeah. So when you decided to move to Beit Shemesh in 2000, you had no idea. You were, you were sold a concept of what this community was going to be like. Yeah. But ultimately, it turned into what it turned into, whatever, whatever that is. And, and 21 years later you have some perspective on the difference between what you expected and what it turned out to be. How did it turn out, the community you live in? Um, my, actually, my, my little neighborhood here where I live, yeah. I love it. If I, if, you know, it's a little, little island of you know, comfort. And I, come at, you know, I love the commute, going through the forest every day. My, uh, I was on a motorcycle, but now I'm doing it in a car. Right. But, um, I have to have to be honest, and I think I share an opinion of a lot of people here that the, the, the Haredim factor across the, the valley here, who were taking over our town, uh, worry me. I feel I think that one day we'll be pushed out. I think. I hate to think that, but it's possible. And before that, before those, before they built that part of the valley, I had a great view of fields and sheep and you know, farmland. <laughs> Sure. That probably let me down a bit, but I still, I still love my little neighborhood, my little, my street. It's, we, we, you, know, you and I live on a beautiful street here, which is a, I think the most beautiful street in Beit Shemesh. That, I agree. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so that that part I like. I mean, so I, don't, I, I, I could actually stay if, if, if we don't get pushed out. I could stay forever. Yeah. Yeah. Mind you, tomorrow I'd like to leave. Maybe we go to Jews when we retire one day and take a take a little apartment and downsize. But right now, for now, the kids are still growing up and you no, know, they're not married yet. I love this house. Yeah. Let's shift gears a little bit. You've seen a lot in your, I mean, I did the math, since, since 74, so that's, that's 47 years mm-hmm. and counting, yeah. uh, that you've been in and around Israel, let's say. You took a little break in yeah, Boston for yeah. a little while, but 47 years, that's a yeah, long time. Long time. Um, how, do you, how do you deal with the roller coaster ride that is the political situation in Israel and the Middle East and the world's perception of Israel and 47 years is a long time 
you still have your hair. Yeah. It, it still looks great. <laughs> but, but I'm sure that, that, that all that time here has taken its toll on you somehow. How do you deal? Well, I've, one of the advantages of living here so long is I really feel I know, I know the mentality of our enemies. Talk about that. You know, their, their lies and their double, their double speak. You see right through them. Hence why I write on Facebook. I, I, use, I use Facebook as my blog all the time. I, I should be blogging. I've been told many times, but I do it on Facebook instead. You know, it's easy. Yeah. And as your wife can attest. Can yeah, attest she loves, she yeah. loves what you post. Um, I, just, I just feel like I know, I know the mentality very well. I, when I run talks and they lie through their teeth, and it breaks my heart to see how the, how the West just gets down on their knees and they don't understand the mentality here, the, the, the concept of, you know, of what the Arabs really want, what, they want achieve, what our enemies want to achieve, and that's to wipe Israel off the map. You know, our, our existence is always at stake. So that adds to the stress to life, all of our lives, you know, what will happen next year, the year after. Especially now with Iran, now in the line through the teeth to the, to the Western Vienna. You and I, we all, people like us, we all, we see right through it. Right. And that worries me a bit, politically. In fact, you know, my, my kids, the kids will have to have to bear the brunt of that. I was, I was wondering, I feel a little sense of guilt that I, you know, I raised a family here in, in a country where there might be some heavy times ahead of us. I think, honestly, right. uh, in the next few years. Hopefully, when the dust all settles, we'll all, we'll all still be here. <laughs> right, right. Okay, can we shift gears and talk about uh, some more uh, mundane matters? Okay. <laughs> um, in the Silverman home. Yeah. Heinz ketchup or Israeli ketchup? Heinz. Yeah. Yeah. The Israelis haven't. They haven't really got it yet. They haven't got it down. The ketchup. Too much cornstarch. Red dye. <laughs> I mean, they kept the whole, whole ketchup issue for years, since the 70s. Yeah. It's just been a joke. What I do mean, you mean by it's been a joke? Well, I mean, like in America, you can go to a hamburger, hamburger joint, they put a bottle of ketchup on your table. Sure. Here, it's like you have to ask for the ketchup. <laughs> and, they put, you know, and for years, until just recently, for years, before the awesome ketchup and the Heinz ketchup, the ketchup and the scene, you get this little red syrup. Yeah, it was almost like strawberry sauce. Yeah, like, I don't know, it's red dye, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Heinz. Heinz. Uh, Kedem or Israeli grape juice? You talk about those old days in, in, in the... Grapes. In the no, yeah, no, no, the, I love Concord grapes. We had Concord grapes in my neighbor's backyard. I, love, I, grew up, I grew up on Concord grapes. I love Concord grapes. And I love Kedem's grapes. My, my best of all of them. My daughter hates it. Don't but, buy that Kedem. Okay, so what do you do? You have both? We, we, no, we, we buy the local, you know. Oh. I, just, I go to the supermarket, I grab whatever looks purple or purple issue. I, you know, grape juice. I, I buy it. You don't buy the Kedem? Because no, no, no. of your once, once, once in a while I do, knowing that she'll hate it, it's, it's, it's the fridge, only I drink it. What's the Israeli food that you love the most? Ooh, just one, just one ticket food? Answer however you want to answer, it can be more than one. I'm, 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 I'm typical, I'm, I'm, I'm right down, right basics, I love my shawarma, I love my falafel, I love it in lafa, always chetzi mana, chetzi not a full one. Right. Okay, I'll eat the half one first, then I'll get another half. Hummus, I love hummus and tahina. I love yeah. it all, you know. Is there an Israeli food you can't stand? Ooh. I can't stand. The typical one. I, 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 I can't stand. No, I don't think so. I think I like I like it all. I like I like it all. I eat it. Middle Eastern diet. I love it. Yeah. I love olives. I love olive oil. I love lemon juice. You know. I mean, 
The uh, Israeli Hebrew accent. Do you have it? Did you ever try it? What's your What's your I, perspective? I tried it over the years, and it's it's funny over the years. Uh, one, I, 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 I can make a statement that it, I feel it's true. Then with my customers, a lot of customers over the years, that for some reason girls who live here, like young young back in the old days, the young girls who make Aliyah would actually put an accent on, and men the boys don't. Interesting. I know I know where that comes from. That's okay. an observation. So I never I never wanted to go that route. So Tamar's Israeli accent is better than yours. Yeah, because she's a teacher and she speaks more Hebrew than I do. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm still in an English-speaking environment, so I speak English all day long. I speak Hebrew as well. My Hebrew's not bad. My Hebrew's pretty good, but I don't have the accent. Okay. And because I'm from Boston, I have no races. <laughs> That's right, as we've already discussed in terms of R. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any pet peeves about life in Israel? Anything about how Israel works that bothers you? How is your self works? Is this a life, any aspect of life here? Yeah, like for example, for me, going to the bank and not feeling like you're the customer drives me crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, it's getting worse nowadays. We all know it's getting, it's getting worse and worse. I don't know if it's worldwide, but it's definitely worse. It's getting very bad here. It's about all the, you know, they don't want to use paperwork. No more paperwork. It's all computer now. It's, right. all, it's, hard, to reach, it's hard to reach anybody in the bank on the phone. On the phone. You can't forget about that. <laughs> Their phone service is terrible. Yeah. Uh, so anything else like that? That you know, it's just like the way things run here that bothers you. Um, drivers. Talk about that. I hate the drivers here. The drivers have caused all the accidents in my life here. I hate the, they hate the, they're very selfish. They're aggressive. They're uptight. And you know, they're all right around these little Japanese little small cars, and they don't really driving high speeds. The death rate is just getting ridiculous every year. There was just six killed this past weekend. Yeah. I just can't stand the drivers there. Have you seen any improvement over the years in that? The roads. I mean, the, the oh, roads okay. blow me away. I, I tell my kids, we were traveling up, traveling up north somewhere in 77 or 79, I'll say, this road used to be a little dirt path. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even in the 70s, I, coming, in the old days coming down from the north, you had, you had, you had to go all, all, over to the coast to come to this part of the country. <laughs> you know, it was, a, it was a major, major improvement. One thing we're good at in, in this country, we're good at building roads and highways. Right. We're good, with, we're good with the asphalt. <laughs> what brings you to, to tears of joy or pride in Israel? Hmm. Like most, most fathers will say, the children. Being, you know, see my children go to be proud Israelis and going into the service and you know, protecting this country and help this country. And uh, that'd, be, that'd, be, that'd be number one, I think. Yeah. Uh, knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently in terms of making Aliyah? Hmm. You know, they say, if you want to come to, come to Israel and make a small fortune, come here with a large one. Yeah. I should have come here with a large one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a struggle. I, I've been struggling, you know, all my life in this country, working hard, trying to keep up with the economy here and life, raising a family and so forth. You know, my, yeah. my, my profession, you know, if I'm down, then my income is down, you know. So it's, it's, it's been a tough, it's a tough struggle. What has, uh, what has the I, COVID I, period I, I, been I, I, like? We've gotten that degree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what's the COVID period been like for you? Well, because I had another bike accident. Right. For me, Beforehand. It was, yeah, before we, beforehand. So for me, it was surgery, lockdown, surgery, lockdown, surgery, lockdown. It killed me. It, it killed my business. And for two years, I, for pretty much two years, I didn't work. Wow. So my clientele's like, you know, got cut in half. And the funny, the funny thing, the, the, the half that I'm losing is still in my shop, but going to other hairdressers. Oh, okay. 
So I'm rebuilding again. I'm you know, re-establishing re- 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 my, my clientele again. It, even at my age, it's kind of rare to start over again at 65. But I'm there. I love what I do, so it's happening. It's going, right? Yeah, it's, it's going. We're bouncing, we're bouncing back from COVID. Amazing. What's been better than expected about life in Israel? Better than expected? Ooh. I don't know if you had any expectations. I, I have to be honest with you, I really didn't. When I, when I first came here, like I said, I, I, I always rolled with the punches. That, that's I'm a very simple, in that way I'm a, I'm a simpleton. I just roll with the punches. In fact, actually, I, I, I didn't include my story, I actually left this country a couple of times. But for two month periods, I, I would leave, I'm, I've had it, I threw my hands up, this country's kind of too frustrating, I would sell all my belongings, come back two months later or three months later, and ask my friends, can I have my car back? Can, can, I, have, can I have my bookshelf back? <laughs> yeah. back? Yeah. <laughs> for weird reasons, I don't really stay there, but I, I left for different reasons. Yeah. But I, I, I threw the towel in a couple of times. So expectations, I can't really, I can't really name you right now. You, you mentioned you love your community here, but is there a place in Israel that you love to visit? It's a Tel special Aviv. place Tel- for Tel Aviv. You? Really? I love Tel Aviv. I couldn't live there. We all, we, we, Tamar and I always say that because of the pollution and the humidity in the summertime and the, the crowding, the streets are all crowded, but we go there a lot. We go to the beach there a lot. We uh, go for the walks along the, the coast a lot. I love the, I'm, a, I'm a beach person, so yeah. I, I, love, I could also include Nitzanim and Palmachim, all of my favorite beaches, walking and hiking in those areas, you know. You love the coast. I love the coast. I'm, I'm, <laughs> um, what do you miss most about the place you came from? The Pats and Red Sox. Right. Sports, you know. Pats are good this year. I know. It's reading now. Now they're number one seed. So you miss the sports? Miss the sports, but I've been watching every game. So tonight I'm waking up. Tonight they're playing Monday Night Football. So you're going to so wake up at 4 o'clock in the 3, morning? 3, 3, 15 in the morning. Watch, playing the Buffalo Bills. For you the watch every week? Every week. Every week. Wow. But, but that's just for football. Like the other stuff, you just sort of keep Red track. Sox, Red right? Sox I'll watch... Uh, if they're in the playoffs, if they, if they reach the pennant, close to the pennant, I'll watch them every game. Really? In fact, that year when they beat the when we beat the Yankees four games straight. Thanks, thanks to, for that. To, to I'm a Yankees fan. Okay. 2004. Our street is whole they're all Yankees. You guys are all Yankees. <laughs> I, don't I, don't know. If, I don't. I don't know if you heard it then. When they won that game, it was 6:05 in the morning on a Friday morning. Yeah. That fourth game, I took my trumpet because I play trumpet. And stuck out my window. I went, pa 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 We weren't here yet. We weren't here yet okay. in 2004. That, I wish I was here for that. It, it would have been, uh, it would have made the loss worth it. To, yeah, funny, to, people, people ask me where I live. If I have a new client, where do you live? I say, I live in five towns, Beit Shemesh. <laughs> uh, I know, I know, I know. Well, that's a different conversation yeah. for a different time. Um, although, let, let's address it a little bit, you know. You know, you're, you're raising a family. You've re- been raising a family in an English-speaking community. Mm-hmm. Have your kids kept any of that Americanness, or are they yeah. like, no thanks, I'm Israeli, leave me alone? I, I, I tried to ingrain the Boston accent on them, but it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, in fact, when, 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 they, when they're together in the living room, they all speak Hebrew to each other. Right. They, they, they'll converse in Hebrew, and that, that, that's, that's, their, that's their mother language. You know? Yeah. But the English is still very good. They all, like, like most kids in our neighborhood, they all had, they all had trouble in Lashon, in the test. That's just normal, do, 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 uh, do language. Right. 
So they, uh, but they, they've they've kept the English, but also the Hebrews, their mother mother tongue. They speak Culturally, they're more Israeli than yeah, they are yeah, American. Yeah, very very Israeli. Uh, is Aliyah for everyone? Hmm? Is Aliyah for everyone? In your mind? If you were a Jew, I'd yeah. say yeah. I'd say yeah. Talk about that. My, my, my biggest fear is that I think that's the goal of the, the Arab countries is to get of people, terrorists that are in uh, various Western countries is to get the Jews to run away and get us all together here <laughs> in one place. <laughs> that's one of my, 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 sort of my daydreams, one of my, one of my fears. But I, I think, yeah, I think all Jews should, you know, should come here. At least give it a try, you know? I wish, I wish my, my siblings would come here. They, they, I, I tell them all the time, we're in contact every day on Facebook. We call my, my two younger brothers. We're, yeah. like, we're, we're the three bottom boys out of the eight. Every day we talk. Really? Like the other night we were lighting candles. We had, we had 25 people here. I said, look at this. Look at the guys are missing, man. This is, this is Judaism. This is Israel. This is Hanukkah, man. These guys should be here. Have you, they ever visited? Back in the 80s, that's it. Wow. And okay, so they need to come back. Half my siblings haven't come here yet. Right. My, old, my oldest brother, Alan, he, he thinks there's still camels walking in the street. I don't know what, what he thinks Israel is. I don't know. I have no idea. This is the successful Prudential guy. Yeah. So he can, he can afford to come here to visit. Yeah, he, he goes to Aruba. Let's, let's, goes, you know, he, let's get him to come here. Behind, he lives in Florida now. So I'm begging him for years to come here. None, none of your kids are married yet, right? Yeah, exactly. No. So, okay, for the weddings. Yeah. Maybe? Very, I don't know. They're very secular, very, very yeah. American. They, they stay put. They don't... You know, it doesn't happen. It doesn't, it's a different world. Yeah, different world. Last question. Mm -hmm. What's your magnet? And what I mean by that is, what's your sort of like mantra that keeps you going? What's the magnet you have on your refrigerator, the, the theoretical magnet that keeps you moving forward with your Aliyah experience? I'm still doing it. Still doing it. S still here, still doing it, yeah. The truth is that a lot of what you've been talking about has been this philosophy of just continuing to move yeah, forward, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Go with the flow and stay and stay in Israel. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Silverman, thank you very much for returning again to your story. I know we only scratched the surface. <laughs> Maybe I'll have you back on again some other time, but I really appreciate great, you uh, great. spending thanks, the time. Thanks for having me uh, for your podcast. It's really nice.